Hey, it's Troy and Scott from Who Cares About Men's Health. We're taking a little bit of a break this summer, but this is one of our favorite episodes from the last six months. You know, Scott, this is where we talked about you can't always trust what you read on the internet. And we recorded this just before the pandemic started, which at this point, that seems like it's been years ago. Man, you're not just kidding with that. But you know what? The the things you talk about in here, Troy, I love because they really apply to the thing like the pandemic, but they apply to anytime you see any sort of health information come across any of your social media channels, you, you gave us some good tips to be able to kind of sort out the good from the bad and what to look at as, uh, you know, as you're trying to make those decisions. You can't always trust the internet. We'll be back soon with new episodes from Who Cares About Men's Health. But in the meantime, enjoy this one. Let's just do this. I'm ready. I'll just, I'll come up with something. That very well might be the first time somebody sighed through a microphone. <laughs> that was like a Napoleon Dynamite sigh. I liked it too. I like, I like the notion of just getting on a megaphone and just going. It yeah. communicates a lot. It does. This podcast has a mission. Our mission is to change the way men think about and talk about their health. It's called Who Cares About Men's Health? It's okay to take our health back and take ownership of our health, guys. My name is Scott. I am the manager of thescoperadio.com, and I care about men's health. And I'm Troy. I'm an ER doctor. I'm on the show, and I also care about men's health. And you like to mimic me a little I bit. I do. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I like your intro. I like it. So today's topic, you know, Scott, I have this issue, and I'm a doctor, but here's the problem I have. Oftentimes when I have various symptoms like headaches or, you know, just, I don't know, like I'll feel really cold or, you know, or get maybe some night sweats or something. My automatic thought is I go to what's the worst possible thing I could have. And if I were to Google my symptoms or just search on the internet for my symptoms, I guarantee I would get a list of the worst possible things I could have. Everything's cancer. And I have people come to the ER on a regular basis who have various kind of vague symptoms and they search it. And they come to the ER and they say, I have cancer. Have you had that problem? Uh, I've got somebody in my life that does that as well, more so than <laughs> I do. naming names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say who this individual is. Yeah, but we all do it. It's almost as though the internet is, that's its job. It like is. it wants to put forth the worst case scenario for you. Exactly. And it's, it's one of these things where we want answers and we want to know, okay, I have these symptoms. I don't know that I want to try and get in to see a doctor. Is it really necessary? And you automatically, you just search stuff, just kind of, oh, let's get an idea. And everything's cancer or it's heart disease or it's some sort of weird autoimmune disease, or it's just always the, the weirdest kind of most vague thing that you have based on your symptoms. Yeah. So the question is, how do you sort through that? How do you sort through the good, the bad? How do you yeah. find reliable healthcare information? Yeah. It's a tough thing to do, even for me as a physician, because there's so much out there. There are so many websites that seem authoritative. Maybe they have some doctor quoted on it, but you know, it really comes down to, I think, knowing which sites are reliable. And that's what the challenge is. You know, for me, the number one website I think that can be really helpful is the CDC. So the Center for Disease Control, and that's more if it's like a disease kind of thing, like, okay, I'm concerned about coronavirus or I'm concerned about malaria or whatever other sort of disease I'm worried about. I go to that site and that has very reliable, very accurate information. Yeah. So, for example, if you go there right now about coronavirus, you can yeah. get a little bit of calm in the storm of what you're seeing maybe in your social media feeds. Exactly. So and good then, source, CDC. It's a great source. And I think, you know, again, we're kind of talking about this in the context of coronavirus and people being very scared and getting all sorts of information go to the CDC website. That's where I go. I ignore all the other stuff. I don't care what it's saying. It's all noise because so much of it is fear and anxiety. Go to the CDC. They have up-to-date information. They should tell you when you should be concerned and when not to be concerned. 
Another great website is the Mayo Clinic's website. They have great information. Uh, the Mayo Clinic's website, they really kind of break down stuff. I think very consumer friendly, very helpful information that you can use. Yeah, I would I would also put in a plug for U, U of U Health's I information would as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I think the bigger point is look for a reputable uh, health system yeah. like Mayo Clinic, like um, I'm trying to think what the other big one is. Cleveland Clinic. Cleveland Clinic. Uh, there's another one that I, I will find up. I think it is Mayo Clinic that yeah. I end up on a lot. They I mean, usually honestly, come yeah, I don't them. want to downplay the university site. We've got lots of great information online, but I think Mayo Clinic has really tried to push hard to have very consumer friendly, very accurate information. And they've done a good job of it for many, many years. And I think a lot of us, you know, we're, we're catching up with that, with having that information, but Mayo Clinic is well established. Right. They've got a lot of good stuff. So on I there. like how you, d you know, didn't know if you could say that. Now you said it 16 <laughs> I times. Said, <laughs> I said it 16 times. We're going to probably just have to cut that whole thing. We're not competing with the Mayo no, Clinic. I mean, that's the Midwest. Honestly, it's funny. I, we've had referrals here from the Mayo Clinic. They've sent us patients and hmm. certainly there are patients who have been treated at the university who've then gone to the Mayo Clinic. So we share patients. It's yeah. all, it's all, it's a very, I think a congenial collaborative relationship. And we all have the similar interest and the purpose of this is to actually send people to good source of yeah, information. So that's right. That's, right. that's what our goal is. Um, another website I like is emedicine.com. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's a, a site that I use to search for physician information. Uh, the consumer name of that website that they target and target more to consumers is medscape.com. Yeah. Um, so if you go to medscape, like I said, emedicine is more for physicians. That's a website I use on a regular basis. And it has very good, very accurate, well-sourced information uh, that's been reviewed uh, that it, it, again, avoids the hype, kind of break things down. What do you really need to know about this condition? Plus also, let me throw in there, when you say review, you mean like peer-reviewed, researched exactly. stuff. So yeah. uh, we talk a lot about um, evidence-based yeah. practice here at uh -huh. University of Utah Health. And what that means is that there's actually evidence to support the claims that are being made that this particular treatment is maybe better than another treatment. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. When we talk about evidence, it means there are studies behind it. And when there aren't studies, it's a consensus opinion where you have multiple clinicians contributing. It's not just one guy like me just giving an opinion like, hey, this is what I think. You know, it's, it's, it's well-sourced, it's reviewed, it's reliable information. It's information I rely on. One kind of final website to mention that's more specialized but has great information for patients is called uptodate.com. That's a website we always use as clinicians. The challenge there is you have to have a subscription. Mm. But if you're seeing a physician, they probably have a subscription. They can print out this consumer, like, a, you know, basically information for patients from that. That's very helpful. That's a wonderful website. I mean, you talk about a well-done resource, very well-sourced, very well-reviewed. All right. So that's good. You gave us some good websites. Yeah. What about when I hear in the media a report about a recent study that came out, they might talk yeah. about anything. It could talk about a disease. It could talk about that there's health benefits to doing X, Y, or Z. Yeah. How can I kind of assess out if that's good information or not? I mean, it is a study, right? In evidence-based studies, that's great. You, you know, you'd think so. It's crazy to me to read some of these stories. You know, let's face it, in the media, it's got no no, no uh, offense intended here toward a, a media personnel here. <laughs> I was in the media for 20 years. You were so in the yeah. media for 20 years. You want clicks and you want attention and you want people to read your stuff. And we don't have a lot of time to go in depth yeah. of stuff as well. Yeah. Most people writing these stories don't have a lot of science background. And one of the biggest things I noticed is I want definitives. I want to be able to say eating more blueberries will do this. Yeah. And that's not the evidence. That's not the language of science or medicine. It's not. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big disconnect there. And so 
it's funny. I would say at least 30% of the news stories I read, they don't even cite a study. They just say, doctors say, or they will say a study showed, but I try and find the study. I'm like, where is this study? What was it? What was actually done? So the number one thing, when you read an article, try and find the study. Mm -hmm. There's no study there. Who knows what to make of it? Yeah, because I've been in the media. So I've said, you know, doctors think or oh, doctors yeah. say this and it, could, it might be one doctor. It, it could be, be two doctors, doctor. right? You can say doctors say for about anything. So. Yeah. So <laughs> look for a study behind it. That's great advice. Try and find a study. And then if you can find the study, try and look at it. There's always an abstract. The abstract is a short, like, you know, maybe 300 word summary of the study. You can look at that abstract and the other 30% of articles I find, if you look at that abstract, and you look at what's in the news article, there's a big disconnect there. Hmm. The study may not even be saying exactly what this news article is saying. They've just kind of pulled their old conclusions or they found some little statement in there and pulled that. And it's really not a good summary of what the study showed. And I will say, as somebody who's been in the media, uh, when I am trying to do that, it can be difficult to understand what's going on. It is. And it does take some time. So yeah, interesting that, gets, that disconnect. Okay. It is. And that gets a little more challenging. It's helpful too to see where was this study published the problem we have today, there are so many what we call predatory journals out there. These are journals where you essentially pay to publish. I can submit a horrible study and I can pay $5,000 and that study will probably be published. It's awful. I mean, it really bothers me that this is out there. So the best studies are going to be from more reliable journals, things like the New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of the American Medical Association, the Lancet, the British Medical Journal, and then each specialty has like higher profile specialty journals. Again, as a regular consumer, it's tough to tease that out. But if you're seeing something that's from the New England Journal of Medicine or JAMA, you can generally accept that it's probably a good study. I mean, that's been very well reviewed uh, by peer reviews. It's been, you know, combed through. And that to me is a reliable study. I, I want to throw in quickly. So um, like, for example, fish oil pills and cardiovascular disease, like that's really a nuanced thing. And I think that's something else that the media does is they take a nuanced thing and they make a a definitive statement about it, right? They do. So then I think, well, I want to prevent having cardiovascular disease. The study said take fish oil pills, but the reality of it is these fish oil pills only help people who've already had a cardiovascular event, according yeah. to the research. Yeah. And that's so, so there's hard. a lot of nuance in there that can be really difficult to assess out as well. And that's like you said, we want stuff to be a hundred percent in science. We know that stuff isn't a hundred percent. You may have heard of P values. So I can have what's called a significant p-value. That means I ran a statistical test and this p-value is less than 0.05. All that means is the likelihood that the, my results are incorrect is less than 5%. You said p-value. I said p-value. Three That's times. Three, three times I did. <laughs> Not that I yeah. was counting. Yeah, you're analyzing your p-value now. Yeah. And I didn't hear a thing you said because <laughs> I, I, was, I was fixated you on p-value. You were so distracted. I know we, yeah. But anyway, all that means is the likelihood that the results are incorrect. You know, a simple way of saying it is less than 5%. So nothing's 100%. I reported if it's less than 5%. You could have another study that comes out a month later that says something completely different. That's why you have to see something studied multiple times for it to be reliable. But it's kind of a long way of saying that stuff you see, try and find an article. Hopefully the article's from a reliable journal. And even then, recognize that in five years, you may see something totally different. Um, is there like some like rules of thumb for things to be looking for in that abstract to see whether or not it's real. I know you were talking about a p-value. Is there anything else like number of people that were tested, et cetera? Oh, great question. So the best studies are what are called a randomized controlled trial. So this is where you have people who agree to be part of the trial. Ideally, you see large numbers of people in this study, like over a thousand. Some of these studies, you'll see like 10,000 patients. That's the best study. That's where you take people and you say, okay, you eat peanut butter and you don't. 
And let's find out in five years if you have heart disease. You know, some of the less designed, better designed studies are the ones where we look back and say, okay, give me a journal of everything you ate for the last five years. Try to remember everything. Let's see if you have heart disease now. So that's not the best. And then the less even, you know, when, when you have these just case reports where it's just like, hey, this guy ate peanut butter and he didn't get heart disease. That's not a good study. So more patients, what we call prospective, watching these patients over five years going forward, randomized studies, those are the best studies. But it is, it's, it's tough. Like if you're not in science, it's hard to tease this out. My rule of thumb is don't base anything off a single study. You should probably see it over multiple studies. If the claim you're seeing just seems unbelievable or doesn't make sense, then it probably doesn't make sense. You know, what if the claims being made is something I want to do, like eat more chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. It's like, it's going to get attention because it makes us feel better about everything. You know, there was a study that came out a month ago that got tons of media attention that said eating red meat is good for your health. I don't know if you saw that. No. Yeah. And that goes counterintuitive to everything that I've heard or everything learned. everything else that came out. And then another study just came out in the last couple of weeks that said, well, no, we, we did this study again. Like all the others show that eating red meat is not really good for your health. So it was one of those that it's kind of like supported, I think, what a lot of people wanted to hear. And it got a lot of media attention. In my uh, master's program, when we were talking about some of the strategies for medical journalism, um, they referred to those types of studies as water cooler research, where oh, yeah. it's the type of stuff where you read it on your news feed, you go and talk to your coworkers. It's like, well, I guess chocolate cures my cancer now, you know, yeah. or whatever. And then yeah. you have those debates about it. If you look at something enough and you look at it enough times, you're going to find a positive result at some point, just based on that whole P-value that I know you love now, uh, based on the whole P-value that we accept that 5% of the time, we're going to get an incorrect result. So you study it enough time, you study it 20 times, you're going to get one result that shows you what you want. Another common trick in the media and for companies is they will do studies for promotional value. Yeah. Like, uh, so look at who's actually doing the study. That's a great point. Because that could change the results as well. So yeah. like, for example, it might be chocolate helps reduce, you know, helps you fall asleep 15 minutes faster. Yeah. They, you know, there could be a chocolate company that is paid for that study because they know the media is going to talk about it. Yeah. So take a look at the source. Yep. There was a study not too long ago that was sponsored by a very large soft drink manufacturer that showed that soft drinks are okay for your health. Every study needs to disclose their funding source. So you need, and a lot of times the articles don't say that, but if you, if you can find the actual research article, that should be right below the abstract who sponsored this study. So if it sounds like it's, again, if it's sponsored by, you know, a soft drink company and it says soft drinks are great for your health, it's worth questioning. I think a good rule of thumb is if something comes along and makes you go, huh, just pause for a second yeah. to think, does that sound reasonable to me? Yeah. Uh, if it's something that's meaningful to you, then maybe take the time to go and see who paid for the study. Maybe take time to see how good the research really was, how many yeah. participants they were. Yep. Otherwise. Be a skeptic. That's ah, the best thing. Be right. a skeptic. As Albert Einstein said, question everything. You know, question it. Don't accept it at face value. Say, hey, this doesn't make sense. And, and be willing to criticize and then form your own conclusions. All right. So let me see if I can kind of wrap up this conversation. First of all, you at the beginning gave us some really good websites to take yep. a look at for medical based information yep. as opposed to trusting, you know, well, my brother had this and this happened. Yeah. My brother had this or just, I searched on, I Googled it yeah. and this is what came up. So there's oh, yeah. some good, good sources for that. Number two, if you're hearing about studies, there are some things you can do if that study means something to you sure. to make sure it's a viable study, yeah. which includes who did it, how many people were involved, 
what's the p-value? What am I looking for in the p-value again? <laughs> well, if it's your point is significant, the p-value is less than 0.05. Okay. It, but, you know, really the, the big question there is, number one, was there actually a study done? Yeah. Number two, is, and is there a link to it that yeah, you could actually you go find look the at? link? Is it in a reputable journal? Just simple stuff like that. You can you can just rely on that to start with. And number three, be a skeptic. Yep. A lot be of a people skeptic. are doing things for their own reasons, not yep. necessarily that are going to be in your best interest. Yep. The motives of science are not always pure. Let's just say that. So people have a lot of ulterior motives, whether, whether depending who's sponsoring it or even just trying to get stuff published. So don't, don't expect science to be a pure science. Question it and be a skeptic. Paging Dr. Troy Madsen to Scope Studio for ER or not. ER or not. That's where we throw out a scenario for you. You decide whether or not it's something to go to the ER or not. And Dr. Troy Madsen is going to let us know whether or not you guessed correctly. Today's ER or not. You have some food stuck in your throat. And I'm talking about like, it's just you're breathing fine. It's not obstructing your airway, which is definitely always a reason to go to the ER if that airway is blocked. But it's just there and it won't come up. It won't go down. It's uncomfortable. ER or not. Well, this is one of those things, again, emphasis on it's not affecting your airway. It's just something you feel it stuck in your throat. People often point to the base of their neck. They can't swallow even their own saliva. They're just spitting it out. It's something you very well may have to go to the ER for. But there's a trick you can try at home before you go to the ER. And that is take a soda, usually like a cola. Try and drink a little bit of it down or get some of it down where it's not coming back up and let it sit there. Now, there's something about soda and cola in particular where it can relax the esophagus. And it's a trick you can try to potentially get that food to pass and get down to the stomach. So this is something that you may avoid to the trip, a trip to the ER for because your only other option is to come to the ER. You can't go to an urgent care for this. You have to come to the ER ideally a larger ER, a center that would have a gastroenterologist on call because they're going to have to come in and retrieve that piece of meat or whatever it is and either push it down to the stomach or pull it out. Yeah, the soda route sounds like a thing to try first before you Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. If it were me, I would try and grab a soda. And again, the challenge is sometimes that it's obstructing things so much that you're even spinning up your own saliva. But if you just feel like something's stuck there, try and get some soda down there. Just let it sit there you know, five minutes, see how you feel, give it another five minutes. If it were me personally, I'd try it three or four times. And if it's just not working and nothing's going down, then you've got to get to the ER. And again, to stress, in this scenario, you've got something stuck in your throat, like a piece of food, but it is not obstructing your breathing. It no. might be causing like you can't swallow your saliva, but you can breathe okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anything that's obstructing your breathing, that's something you need to get immediate help for. Even then, not just ER, but call 911. Um, but if you do this, and it's not obstructing your breathing and you drink the cola and it resolves, you probably still should get in to see your doctor. You may sometimes have these rings in the esophagus, little things that food get caught on, that it would be worth having a, an endoscopy done at some point to look to see if that's there to prevent future problems. But no rush to do anything once it resolves. All right, time for housekeeping on who cares about men's health. The podcast is called Who Cares About Men's Health. When we created this podcast, our goal was very singular and very simple. We wanted to create a podcast for men talking about their health. Yes. We wanted men to listen. We did. And, and we just got some statistics back from Mitch. How are we doing, Mitch? Uh, I mean, we're doing pretty well. I mean, we're getting more and more listeners. But the big thing and the thing that's surprising to all of us is that around 40% of our listeners are actually women. Yeah, 40%. 
And we, so we yeah. asked the question, who cares about men's health? And the answer is 40% of people who care are women. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little disappointed in our performance. We wanted men to listen, and here we got 40% women. So well, we I have men listening. I think we kind of failed a little bit. Well, no, I think it's a great thing because it's a lot of women, I think, who care about men's health. I think that's part of the answer. And I think there's information on here, you know, certainly some of it specific to men, like some of our prostate health stuff, but a lot of it applies to any listener. One of the women that listens, her name is Danielle, and she said, I love listening to bits and pieces of this podcast. Who cares about men's health? You don't have to be a man to find it interesting. And even though the show is local to Utah, it's relevant to more than just Utahns. Check out this preview about coronavirus and wash your hands. So that was a thing we did a couple weeks ago that she's yeah. commenting on. So nice. thank you, Danielle, for listening. And thank you, Danielle, for caring about men's health, yeah. I guess. I think that's the important thing. We acknowledge women are listening. Thank you for listening. And, and yeah, thank you for caring about men's health. And, you know, if there's a man in your life, please use your influence because sure. we all know that you have it yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. and, and share this podcast because we would like to get men taking more direct, uh, you know, responsibility for their health as well. Exactly. Time for just going to leave this here. It might have something to do with what we talk about. It might have something to do with men's health. It might be completely random. Troy, will you please kick off this edition of just going to leave this here? Scott, I'm just going to leave this here. I think in the hierarchy of like maladies and injuries, I would rather have a broken finger than a cold. And I know that sounds like unusual, but the problem with a cold is you just feel miserable. I'm now 11 days into a cold. I went through various stages with this cold of just feeling awful. Now it's just kind of that residual kind of runny nose cough kind of thing. But you get no sympathy. You feel awful. You get no <laughs> sympathy. Everyone's just like, oh, you have a cold. Okay. You have a broken finger. It's like, hey, my hand's broken. It's obvious. Everyone's like, yeah, what are you doing typing, man? You should not, you know, why don't you stay home from work? <laughs> you know, like you're really injured or like a cut on your face or something. It just gets so much more sympathy and it's just, it's like, ah, whatever, it's going to heal. I'll have this splint off in two weeks. We're cold. It's just no fun and you get no sympathy. Try, it's just the worst of I'm both I'm sorry worlds. you have a cold. Not Thanks, feeling Scott. well. You're the first one who said that to me in two weeks. Uh, Thanks, yeah. Scott. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Thanks. Just going to leave this here. Uh, um, trying to be honest with you, Troy, and okay. producer Mitch and our listeners. I've been struggling a little bit with some of my health lately. Um, over the Christmas vacation, I had something happen where I couldn't raise my right arm above my shoulder anymore. Yeah. It was a result of being sick and laying in a strange bed and laying in a chair for a couple of days. And it really hasn't gone away. And now it's becoming one of those nagging health issues. Mm. So I have gone in to uh, Keith Roper, who's a physical therapist who's been on our show. Okay, good. He's given me some exercises. He's given me a diagnosis, which I'm not even, can't even remember what it is. Mm. But here's what I want to point out. We talk a lot on this show and I feel a little bit like a hypocrite sometimes about making all these great decisions about our nutrition and our activity. Uh, and I think it's easy for one to think that you're always 100% perfect and it's mm. always up, 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 but sure. it, it is not. And um, I have, I'm trying to come to that realization, but I've, I've got two realizations. One, for me, when my physical activity starts to decline, I notice everything else oh, falls yeah. by the wayside. Like now I'm mm. not caring about my nutritional choices as, as much anymore. I don't care yeah. about my sleep as much anymore. I will tend to go have a couple extra beers mm. uh, as opposed to kind of being in control of that, right? Or maybe yeah. replacing a meal with a couple of beers. Mm. So I'm working through that right now. Yeah. I'm trying to realize that, you know, this ebbs and flows. And what I'm, yeah. I guess I essentially am trying to say is if you are struggling with any of the things we talk about in the core four, nutrition, health, your sleep, uh, managing your stress, you know, nagging health issues, know that it's not always a continual 
straight up trajectory. Yeah. And struggling is okay. Yeah. As long as you admit it, I think. And I've allowed myself for a couple of days to kind of wallow in it. <laughs> and, <laughs> We're both wallowing today. But Listen to now us. I'm trying to get, get back going up again. So yeah. anyway, uh, keep the faith if you are struggling, you know, with any of the things we talk about on the show. And if you want to reach out, certainly feel free to do so. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash who cares men's health. If you want to be more private, you can go hello at the scope radio.com and, and let us know what your situation is. And I think this would be a good transition to the things that you say at the end of podcasts. I've already said how to contact us. What else you got? Yeah. Subscribe through wherever you get your, your, uh, your podcast You can go to Spotify, iTunes, uh, what else do we have? I don't know. How's it? They're probably the big ones. Bingo Bongo. <laughs> Bingo Bongo. <laughs> I think is a popular <laughs> podcatcher now. Yeah. You know, whatever works for you. You already talked about how to contact us. You know, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash who cares men's health website is face or website is who cares men's health.com. So we'd love to get some feedback. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you'd like to hear. And thanks for listening. And thanks for caring about men's health. Mm-hmm.